And now it's time for Rod and Real Radio with your hosts, Hop Along John Cassidy, fresh and saltwater expert angler Stan Vanderberg, and all-around outdoors fishing and hunting enthusiast Wendy Toshihara. If you love the outdoors, enjoy salt or freshwater fishing, this is the show for you. We'll cover most all of the fishing tournaments and events with special reports while providing you with the information you need as to how and where to experience the best fishing opportunities in Southern California. Baja, Alaska, or just about anywhere the fish are biting. Rod and Real Radio brought to you by El Cajon Ford at Broadway and Main or online at ElCajonFord.com. Whether it's time for a new or used car or truck or you need to take advantage of San Diego's best quick lane for service with genuine Ford parts, brand name tires at competitive prices, remember nobody beats El Cajon Ford. We have some fantastic guests and reports lined up for you this evening, so sit back, relax, and get ready for the fastest two hours in radio. It's all right here, right now, on Rod and Real Radio, the best stop on your radio. Radio dial for all the information you need for fishing opportunities all over the United States. Now here's your host, Hop Along, John Cassidy. Mark Larson, thank you very much, and Southern California, welcome to Rod Real Radio. I am your host, Hop Along, John Cassidy, and we appreciate you tuning in to us on this blustery winter day here in Southern California. Hey, needless to say, though, we've got a great show lined up for you tonight. Let's just go down through the guests here real quickly. Starting off right at 5 o'clock here, we're going to have Joe and Mike Israel. They are the 2016 champions of the Open Bay Bass Tournament, and it's been my pleasure to know these two young men for many years since we first opened up the shop in 1999. They've been coming on in. They're not professional fishermen. They're everyday fishermen, just like you and I, but they are doing some extraordinary fishing on the, the bay side. So they're going to be with us right off the bat. And besides uh, having Phil Friedman and James Nelson with us, Gary Klein, pro angler, is going to be with us. We'll go over Gary's career, you know, starting from early 1979 uh, up to the present. And we're, he's going to talk about a project he's involved in called Major League Fishing, and I know uh, most of you, you've been watching that show. We've gotten a lot of comments, and you believe it's absolutely one of the best fishing shows on television. We're going to talk about that with Gary Klein. So before we all do this, let me introduce you to the co-host of Ron Real Radio. First, he is the voice of 1-800-BASSBOAT and an awful good fisherman in his own right, both freshwater and saltwater, Mr. Stan Vandenberg. Stan, how you doing tonight? You know, I'm doing better than those boys at the farmers open down there at Torrey Pines, that's for sure. <laughs> those poor guys. I stayed inside a lot while it was raining and blowing, and uh, tomorrow is going to be a better day. That's all I know. I know we've got um, uh, Mike and Joe Israel live in the Palatial Angler's Arsenal Studios here in La Mesa, and uh, they were saying they are happy that that Bay Bass Tournament wasn't uh, conducted on a day like today, and I uh, think uh, most every uh, fisherman can agree with that. Yeah, you know, I mean, I've fished in this stuff when, it, when it's blowing, you know, 40, 50, even 60 knots, and, and you're out there in thunder and lightning and rain, but it's not pleasant, although one of the better bites I've ever been in was in that weather, too. So I've had a couple of times when it was real miserable, and they just lit it up. So, you know, there's some positives to the negatives. It's just the most negatives you don't want to be out there in it. Oh, for sure. Hey, let me introduce our listening audience to the other co-host of Ron Real Radio. 
She is the national sales manager for Iserline and represents many other fine products in the fishing industry. Ms. Wendy Toshihara. Wendy, how you doing, ma'am? I'm going stir-crazy, and I'm having fishing withdrawals. I'm a grump. <laughs> Don't tell me this weather has kept you from sitting out in a tree blind somewhere waiting for something to come by, Wendy. Yeah, you know, I uh, took the weekend off from hunting, and uh, I'm starting to clean my garage, so I'm awfully grumpy because I'm not having fun. Oh, you guys, you have the same problem I've got, so... I know, I feel your pain there. Uh, <laughs> hey, guys, let's get to our first guest because they're sitting right next to me here at Angler's Arsenal, La Mesa. You know, last year I thought it was pretty phenomenal what these guys did because in, in a field of about 140-plus uh, teams, they came in second in the 2015 Open Bay Bass Tournament, and then they uh, – San Diego Anglers will take the top 25 finishers and they'll throw them into a fish-off later into the season. And these two guys won the fish-off and fishing against some of the best saltwater fishermen that we have here in Southern California. So what do they do to beat that? They come back in 2016 and win the 2016 San Diego Anglers Open Bay Bass Tournament. Let me introduce our listening audience to Mike and Joe Israel. Mike and Joe, welcome to the show. Hey, John. How's it going? All right. Mike, let me, let's hear from you first and uh, say hello to Stan and Wendy. Hey, Stan. Hey, Wendy. Hey, guys. Great job, by the way. I like the consistency part of this. <laughs> you know, right there last year, win it this year. That's good stuff. Yeah. And then we also have Brother Joe with us. Joe, say hello. Hi. Thanks for having us. All right. That's great. You know, uh, Stan, you know what, the, what this is like. This is almost like winning back-to-back U.S. Opens just because of the number of people and the caliper of fishermen that you're fishing against. It's hard to go back-and-back back in a regional tournament or, or even a club tournament, but to do it in an event like this, uh, a really pretty fine accomplishment. Well, when you're, it's one thing to do it, you know, when you've got 30 or 40 boats out there and you're, you're – competitive in that that arena that's one thing but when you start putting you know i mean they draw 150 boats as their cutoff and a lot of times they're shut off a month ahead of time because they're all already full but to be able to pull that off you know i said the consistency part of that is really good you know if you if it was a regular tournament circuit and you did that six times you could be anglers of the year (laughs) oh you bet hey mike and joe let's talk a little bit about your experience and joe if you want to start it off tell us how you and your brother got you know, together, and have you been fishing as, uh, as a team for a little while? Yeah, we, uh, we've been fishing together since we were kids. Before we could drive or anything like that, we'd go down to the bay um, and throw out squid strips on a treble hook and see what we could catch. So um, that graduated to fishing freshwater. We grew up by Lake Murray, and uh, then we started fishing in a boat together there, a rental boat, and um, did the float tube thing for a little while, and then... Uh, I was fortunate enough to get a little John boat, um, I think right around the beginning of college, and been fishing together ever since. So, Mike, I, I know uh, that you're uh, uh, always happy to be fishing with your brother, but who actually was the person you were emulating when it came to, to fishing? Uh, we kind of developed a lot differently than people we learned fishing from. I mean, we learned mainly from our dad and our grandpa. Um 
and our grandpa was happy as a clam if he was catching mackerel on OB Pier. And uh, we're not quite the same. <laughs> right. We're not as easy to please. Well, tell us, uh, you know, the Open Bay Bass Tournament, I think it was the 23rd annual, uh, and actually it goes back farther than that. It's that long that it's been run by the San Diego Anglers. How many of these events have you fished? Because I, I know that you actually fished in 2014. And had you fished before that, and how had you done? Um, I had fished with a friend. Uh, Mike was away at college. Uh, during the first couple years that we fished it. So I was with a friend, and um, our first year we actually got third. Um, and then we didn't do very well for the next five or six years. <laughs> and then and then uh, Mike moved back down to San Diego, and then we started fishing together in it. Now, so. I know, you know you've had school in the way. You both have jobs that you're doing. You, you don't get a chance to, to get out and fish a lot. Did you pre-fish a lot for this event? Uh, we... We've been doing the same method for this tournament for probably the last three years. Uh, so we like to let our tournament spots kind of sit for the month prior. So we've been fishing freshwater and uh, actually Mission Bay lately and then looking for sand bass spots in case the calicos didn't cooperate. Um, but we're happy if we don't ever have to fish for sand bass. Okay. That, that's pretty good. But this year, the uh, San Diego anglers took the... Uh, outside limits to the mouth of the bay and they moved them more to the inside of the bay to uh, a buoy 9 and 10 and that cut off a lot of the areas that were historically calico bass spots were you guys concerned when you saw the moving of those boundaries uh there was a lot of confusion because a map came out and buoys 9 and 10 is actually where the boundaries were last year Okay. And so I think a lot of people were probably confused and thought it was moving in one buoy level closer, which would be 11 and 12. Um, but we looked at the NOA charts to make sure we still had our spots, and 9 and 10 is where it was last year. So we just hauled butt straight for the same spots we normally go to. And uh, did that. Uh, uh, tell us a little bit about how you prepared for the event with the uh, uh, the rigs that you used and fear uh you know, gear and, and, and lures, because obviously you, you can have great rods and reels, uh, but if you don't have the right lures, uh, boy, you're, uh, uh, you're not doing that well. Um, for this event, there was a swell that rolled in the day before or the night before, and uh, we didn't think it was going to really affect the bay like it did, um, but the, the surge at the jetty was pretty good, so our surface setups, um, we pretty much set those down in the first 10 minutes. And uh, actually, the first two minutes, because we realized the fish aren't going to sit on top of this, and uh, started using uh, baits that sink, working them along the face of the jetty. So, so that our game, we planned for both surface and uh, subsurface, but uh, the surface stuff just wasn't going to happen. Well, you know, the jetty's a real popular spot. We're talking about Zanuga Jetty, which is uh, just to the uh, the southeast of the opening of, of Mission Bay. I think you all know it if you've ever been out on Mission Bay. Uh, but it's not exactly a hidden spot. I mean, it's something you can see. It's rocky structure. Bass like to hang around rocky structure. Uh, uh, did you have some visitors out there, too, while you were fishing? And what separated you from the horde of other boats that were out there? Uh, luckily, we got to the exact spot we wanted to get to. Um, first uh, and we actually had our limit before 7 in the morning nice. uh, we probably had about 
eight and a half pounds by seven. Um, and so it was just a matter of Joe caught the first fish, which was uh, probably right around or a little bit above four pounds. Oh, and then we caught start. two more pretty quick after that. And it was just a matter of, you know, being in the right spot at the right time. But we fish the jetty year round just for fun. Uh, we'll fish it at night. We'll fish it during the day. Um, it's just a fun spot to fish calico. So we can tell by the water conditions, the tide, which way the current's going. Um, we're getting better at predicting what the fish are going to cooperate most with. Well, Wendy, I know you're aware of this. Stan, maybe uh, you aren't. Uh, a couple of seasons ago, they took and they lowered the uh, number of bass you could bring to the scale. To three. For, to three. Yep. And what they also did, instead of going to 13-inch limit, they went to a 14-inch yeah. limit. And, boy, uh, you know, Wendy and I were uh, at the, the event. We were uh, showcasing not only Rod and Reel Radio but Iserline and Tenacious Jigs. And as the fishermen would come in right out after another, they'd go, man, we caught 30, 40 fish, and yeah. we couldn't get them to, to stretch. And you know, you, uh, I remember, well, they, they've done that in the freshwater. It used to be, you know, open mouth and hanging on a belly board, and then it went and closed mouth on a flat board. And I mean, it's changed over the years. You get the slot limit tournaments, whatever else. So the changing like that doesn't so much, I don't think, it doesn't bother me. Yet, so I'm still going to fish a tournament. But I, what I I really enjoy, one, I'm, my brother and I have been fishing together for more than 30 years in tournaments. And I, I think the the best thing about that is I love fishing with my brother. He's One, he's good. And uh, I know he's got my back. We're both thinking the same way. You know, if you, if you have a really good fishing partner uh, that you fish with all the time, and it really makes a difference. But, you know, you grow up fishing together. You learn a lot about the, the areas that they're fishing. I think a good saltwater fisherman can take that knowledge of how to scrape the bottom with a, with a bait deep and take that to freshwater and become a really good freshwater fisherman, too. So uh, I, I think the, the brothers here <laughs> have done a really good job of putting the, the whole package together and as you're speaking i'm just nodding and bobbing here going that's good stuff you know the way you you approach everything and the way you're you like you went to your the spots and you've got something chosen that you know the arena that you're fishing in you know just makes really good tournament sense i know know, you're absolutely right john uh when i was sitting there next to your booth um i had a lot of people come by and say hey you know let the fish relax we flipped them over we pressed them we tried making them go every which way but they wouldn't go you know so it, it was tough for a lot of those people trying to make that 14 inch size limit now guys i know you still have a a, a fish off to fish here and it's going to be against 25 again of the best teams in Southern California when it comes to saltwater fishing. But give us an idea. How, you know, what techniques did you use to catch some of your fish? Um, we like the um, uh, Gordo Shads. Okay. The, they're a smaller swim bait, a little fatter body. Um, they just have a different sink to them than the slimmer body ones, and uh, the fish seem to react better to a slower fall than a more rapid one. At least that's been our experience. And were you throwing them into the rocks, letting them settle into the rocks, or were you trying to keep on top of the rocks on the jetty, or what? Um, the goal is just to not get snagged. So yeah. as close as, as, close <laughs> as you did it without snagging is the best. Um, sometimes they'll be sitting off from the jetty uh, and chasing, but um, it, the way the surge was and the tide, how strong it was, the fish were going to be holding tight. And uh, you're probably going to lose. We lost quite a few rigs, but uh, 
um, that's just part of it, the way it was that morning. Mike, you said that uh, uh, you had uh, a limit of uh, fish early. It, it went eight something. You actually came in with what, 913? No. And, and I think you indicated that, uh, or one of you had indicated uh, that you got a, cu- uh, a culling fish kind of later in the day. What, what did you do to get that fish? Uh, we had about we our final weight was eleven point one three. Eleven one three, yeah. Nine um, was the second place, I think. Yeah, and our jackpot fish was four point three five, and that one came at about twelve thirty. Um, wow. And so we're just still fishing rocks, basically just looking for any structure we could find. We have two areas we concentrate on, and it's hard to avoid leaving when the bite dies for three or four hours straight. But um, it's kind of a go for broke approach for us. Right. We only have so many hours in a day, so we don't want to spend it driving around. You know, well, let me ask you a couple it, questions it, here, because I don't fish the tournaments, but, you know, what, what pound line are you throwing and what pound, you know, what kind of lead are you throwing at them to get it to sink? And, uh, so uh, the, <laughs> for the the size lead, we like to use the smaller lead head, smaller war bait lead heads, probably a quarter ounce and I think three sixteenths. And then uh, line, we're going pretty heavy. Um 65 braid to 25 and 30 floor or yeah fluorocarbon. Wow. So not not light. Yeah, you know, hey, well if if you get one you got to pull them out of the rocks. That's first and foremost and the fish are that's a tough little animal when you stick them they don't they just don't come right in. So yeah. that makes total sense on top of rock and anything else down there it's in a jetty. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of times, Stan, as you well know, uh, you're fishing in the current and the wind and the boat's jumping up and down and you're throwing oh, these yeah. uh, jigs into the rocks and they eat it on on the drop. And sometimes yep. you may not know exactly, uh, you know, at that moment that you're bit until all of a sudden you feel the fish on there. And then you got to worry about taking that fish uh, and getting them out of those rocks because that's where they live. Yeah, well, they guys, in, they come your out winning of the rock, rate was go back into the rock. Eleven point one three. Eleven point one three. And Woo. what Stan, Wendy, and and our listening audience, what was amazing, is with uh, I don't know one hundred thirty five, hundred forty teams. I don't know exactly how many that were her, and then how many more kayak teams added to that. You actually won this tournament by two pounds, and two pounds Woo. was just a, a gigantic weight when you when you see the fish that uh, coming out of the bay. So. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah, you won big fish of the event. Your big fish went? Uh, 4.35. And I hear there's <laughs> even the story. Uh, uh, you came in and you just took the last fish out. and You're not even sure if that was the biggest fish. The other fish could have been a little larger. No, I, <laughs> we didn't uh, put them on the teeter-totter scale to see which one was bigger. And somebody asked for a picture of them, and uh, I realized we had two about the same size. So I had to guess uh, which one to throw in for our jackpot fish. Both would have won it, but... Um, anyways, it worked out. Well, guys, not only are you outstanding fishermen, you're outstanding gentlemen. It's just been a pleasure to see you grow up over the years. And congratulations on winning the 2016 San Diego Open Bay Bass Tournament. And you don't know when the fish-off's going to be, but we'll keep track of you when the fish-off comes. And great fishing, guys, you know, almost like back-to-back. Yeah, thank you. All right. Hey, thanks Congrats, for being guys. with us, coming in the uh, the rain and the wind to be here. And, and I invite you to stay with us because uh, we'll be talking maybe more about bay bass fishing with uh, James Nelson later on in the hour. So okay. thanks a lot, guys. Okay. Thank, Thank you, you, John. All right. Hey, Stan, Wendy, and I, we got to take a break right now. But coming up next, 
The Voice, Phil Friedman, will be with us after these messages. You can count on El Cajon Ford, as so many Southern Californians have for years. El Cajon Ford has the cars and trucks you can count on, like the all-new Fusion and Escape, Edge, Explorers, and more. And now, Fiestas with 38 MPG and Focus with 40 miles per gallon highway, plus C-Max Energy with up to 42 highway EPA estimates. El Cajon Ford has them now. Shop online at ElCajonFord.com. Choose from hundreds of your favorite F-Series trucks, too. El Cajon Ford knows trucks, no matter what you're hauling or towing, for a great weekend of fishing or for some fun in the desert. Now get special savings on every F-Series truck in stock, 150s, 250s, 350s, at El Cajon Ford. We have commercial trucks, too, including the all-new Transit Connect. Finally, a commercial van with great mileage, helping your business get moving again. El Cajon Ford, worth the short drive from anywhere in Southern California, Broadway and East Main and El Cajon, or online anytime, anywhere at ElCajonFord.com. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel specially heat treated to make them light and extra strong but not brittle. The Gamakatsu sharpening process is the most modern in the world and results in a perfectly conical point that is unequaled in sharpness. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing, drop shot, extra wide gap, worm hooks, finesse wide gap, and a lot more. Gamakatsu has a hook for whatever style of fishing you want to do. Don't waste your time on a cheap hook. Ask for Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. H&M Landing is the most diversified sport fishing company on the West Coast. Serving the angling community since 1935, H&M Landing's name recognition and reputation for customer service is the best in the business. The H&M fleet provides the widest range of trip options and boasts the coast's largest open party fleet. For ocean fishing any time of the year, H&M Landing should be your choice for nearshore and offshore fishing. H&M is San Diego's most experienced sport fishing company, offering the best in half-day, three-quarter day, full, and multi-day trips, and a complete schedule of long-range adventures. Call today, HM Landing, 619-222-1144, or visit their website at www.hmlanding.com for updated schedules and secure online booking. H&M Landing, the experienced angler's first choice in local and multi-day fishing since 1935. That's H&M Landing at 619-222-1144 or hmlanding.com. 2015 and 16, Quantum Fishing's gone and done it again for you with the brand new redesigned Smoke PT Reel Series. Everything from your spinning reels all the way to your baitcasters, the PTA design has a new PTXA frame, lighter, stronger, bone-crushing drag, Quantum Fishing. We are performance-tuned. Check them out at Angler's Arsenal in La Mesa or anglersarsenal.com or give us a call at 619-466-8355. This segment of Ron Real Radio is brought to you by the makers of the original balloon fishing clip system, Balloon Fisher King. Now you can fish the precise bait depth desired with these easy-to-use clips and 100% biodegradable natural latex balloons. All you do is clip, inflate, bait, and fish. Look for Balloon Fisher King clips and balloons at your local tackle dealers or go to balloonfisherking.com for further information. It's a big deal, you know. I've always wanted to be on Rod and Reel Radio Line. <laughs> I won the Bassmaster Classic. I did a, a McDonald's commercial, but now I know I've made it. I fulfilled my dream. <laughs> that is just absolutely awesome. In Southern California, welcome back to Rod and Reel Radio. Stan Vandenberg's with us tonight. So is Wendy Toshihara. 
Joe and Mike Israel, they're also with us, and they're mic'd up. Uh, you know, they'll be uh, uh, pitching in from time to time. Uh, if there's something that we're talking about they feel they want to comment on, guys, I welcome you to do that at any time. And now it's time for What the Heck is Phil Thinking with the Voice of uh, PFO Radio, Phil Friedman. Phil, how the heck are you, guy? I am doing great, John. Uh, it is always good to be with you, and I want to say hi to John, and I mean to say hi to you, Wendy, and, and of course, Joe and Mike also, and all the listeners out there. It's always great to be with you. Hey, they, uh, uh, I'm glad to say hello to Joe and Mike. They are the winners of the 2016 Open Bay Bass Tournament. A couple of outstanding gentlemen here, and uh, they are waiting with bated breath to find out what's the good news in the fishing scene off our Southern California coast. Well, as you can tell, I mean, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to figure out that things are nasty. I mean, I'm right here on the beach looking out toward Catalina, and the wind is blowing sand all over the place. It's blowing at least 30 here. Maybe it's a gale at this point. It is really, really treacherous, dangerous, and nasty. So we kind of got to talk about things before we had this blow in. I started with the long-range boys and looked at a couple of nice catches. One on board the Intrepid, a nice 270-pound Yellow Pintuna for Phil Williams. Really beautiful catch nice. down there. The XLs had some several fish, a couple of a pair of 250s, fish bigger than that also. The rest of the long-range boys are having some pretty good fishing on big, great Yellow Pintuna. And there's some Wahoo at times on the way down. I talked to Roberto Miranda on Cedros Island a little earlier this morning. When I talked to him, John, it was calm and there was not much wind, but he said the forecast was for it to blow down there at Cedros. They've been catching small yellows down there, good calico bass fishing, and the white sea bass bite is just starting to come on down there. They have some really incredible sea bass fishing. The sport boats out of San Diego get in on it at times, and it can be really good. San Quentin, Tata Alberto Flores down there, Tiburones Pongas, and their bite has been outstanding. And I'll tell you, it really has not let up until right now. It's going to let up and We'll have to see what this weather is going to do to the scenario down there. But it's been big yellows eating the yo-yo iron, a lot of 15 to 25-pound stuff at times, 8 to 12-pound, but a lot of big-grade stuff. And mixed with that, of course, the lings and the, the vermilions and all the great rockfish down in that neck of the woods. Just working our way up the Baja Peninsula, now 120 miles from San Diego at Punta Colonet, where the Pacific Queen had a buck 53 on the big grade yellowtail, 15 oh, nice. five pounders, some of it bigger, some of it smaller, but really excellent fishing and a lot of yo-yo iron fish. I know Stan loves that. Put the 50 to 60 pounds to those things, and that bite has been outstanding. Coronado Islands, a little bit slower in that neck of the woods. Um, it, it has backed off, and, and again, we're going to have a drop in water temp. There's no question about it after this blow, but nothing in the past, and we've had some significant blows in the past, has put a damper on any of these bites. They rebound every single time, and I have a suspicion El Nino might have something to do with that with the warmer water up and down the water column, and we'll see if it does indeed roll and get cold and dirty or it comes right back on. My suspicion is it's going to be pretty good. La Jolla area, how about Brian Fagan, 54-year-old from Poway. Pat McDonald wrote about him in Western Outdoor News, perhaps the biggest white sea bass ever taken. On a kayak, 74.2 Brian, Yeah, that was awesome. You know, Stan uh, and Wendy and uh, Phil, I've got a a, a, a backstory on that. 
they were uh, trying to get research on whether or not that was indeed the largest white sea bass ever caught on a kayak, and unfortunately it, was, it wasn't. The largest was caught in 2002, <clears throat> and what happened is the fishermen brought the fish in, and the only scale that they had was a 50-pound scale. So they bottomed on out when they put the fish, and they, they didn't want to guess and think it was 60 or whatever it is. So they cut the fish up into three distinct pieces and weighed all three pieces, added it up, and the three pieces came to 75 pounds. So who knows what that fish could have been. Oh, well, you know, that's one way. I guess that's one way to do it. <laughs> if you need to know, you're going to take it home and eat it. What the heck? Yeah, but uh, that was a great catch. Phil, do you know what he caught that fish on? Was he uh, uh, slow trolling a mac or what? I believe so, John. I believe I read that he was slow trolling a mackerel on that. And, uh, man, what a catch. And, and what a unique way. The other guy you referenced, I've had scales where my fish have bottomed out very few times, but once in a while. <laughs> and I never dreamt about cutting them in half and weighing the two pieces. But that, uh, that certainly is a unique way of doing things. Yeah, it is. I mean, most scales, you can get scales. I, got, I, I have 50-pound scales. That I use even in my bass boat. I've got a fifty-pound scale in case you know everybody was looking for the world record a long while ago. But who's got a seventy-five-pound scale in their boat? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, and uh, Mr. Fagan was uh, uh, no novice to uh, the kayak fishing because I think his previous high before that was like forty-six pounds. So, yeah, and he's launched. I think Pat wrote that he had launched. In a kayak over 300 times. So, as you say, he's no novice. Right. Wow. Well, Still, that's well, a moose. You know, that's Phil, a huge... you know, we were, we were uh, you know, monitoring what a lot of the boats do, especially the day-and-a-half boats that normally try to get out of here on Thursday or Friday and go down to Colinette. And Chris Dunn came up with some, uh, uh, you know, forecast on the weather. And I don't know if that kept some of these guys from going on down because – you know, Friday, it was beautiful, but they started looking at uh, what the swells were and the gales and everything else like that and did not relish having to come back on Sunday night, Monday morning against the storm. Well, as we mentioned, the, it didn't slow the queen down, and he ended up with 153 of those big yellows. Right. So they, they were still down there, and uh, that is an incredible bite. They keep seeing more and more fish down there. And as I say, we'll just have to see what this weather does to the environment and see if it's cold and pushes that fish off the bite for a little while or if they rebound and come right back again. This has been pretty amazing. That, that arena has held fish since June. It's been going down there. It's been really steady. And, yeah, I mean, it just has not backed off here in the winter at one bit. I mean, in fact, last week... They saw more evidence of more fish than they had in previous weeks, and you've got to love what just happened with that big storm on the way in. And as John said, you know, it was that shellacking that perhaps you had to take on the way home. But the weather was pretty darn nice for the most part down there, and they scratched out, scratched out. 153 yellowtail scratched out, nonsense. Had really excellent fishing down there on the Queen, and they just keep doing really, really well on the fish down there. Well, somebody asked me, you know, what I would do is if I was going to go fishing, and I said I'd get on one of the boats that's going south, head for Colinette, and go catch yellowtail until they want, that was done, and then catch whatever rockfish and lings on the way back up and come back and eat well. 
Oh, you're not stating. Hey, uh, Phil, can you tell me, uh, uh, for some of our listeners that aren't familiar with Castro's camp or going out of Ensenada or even out of some of the boats that go out of the corral, which is just uh, north of Ensenada, do a lot of those boats, can they make it down to Colinette, especially the Pongas, or do they stay more in the local waters, or, or what are their range? Yeah, the Pongas out of Ensenada are going to stay and hang out at Todos Santos or Fish Punta Banda or Salsipuelas or something like that. But you can drive down to Colinette, and there's Pongas there, and or you can keep going and go down to San Quintin, and you're below Colinette, but they certainly can run the 20 miles up the coast if they have to. Normally, they have excellent fishing there around San Martin, and they have a bank called the 240 right there offshore from uh, San Quintin. I love that area. I think it's worth another 20-mile drive or so. You get down to San Quintin. One of my favorites has got to be Tiburones Pongas. They do a great job. Aaron Taylor, the All-American from Notre Dame. Funny that I would mention him, but he did win a Super Bowl with the Packers. And <laughs> couldn't, couldn't funny about that. With the, the Chargers, but he, he fishes there. He loves it. There's a nice hotel down there called Jardinas de Baja, and it's a lovely place, and the fishing has been really good. And those guys... I mean, they're on their game, John. They love fishing the yo-yo and doing a number on the big yellows down there, and they certainly have been having some excellent fishing. You know, we've got guys that are going down there that have been going down there for years. They love it down there. They love the beauty, the serenity, the people. Uh, you know, never have any problems with security or anything like that. But for some of the people that want to kind of put their foot, you know, into the water and, and give it a try, uh, do they just go down there and, and get to the camp, do a little research, or these people have websites or, or agents up here in the, uh, uh, the U.S. where they can uh, you know, call for reservations to make sure that they have boats ready for them when they get down there? You know, I am happy to talk to anybody. You can go to our website. My phone number is there. I can give it right now about travel down there. I'd be happy to help anybody. But, for example, uh, Tiburones Pongas, you can find them on Facebook. Talachi Alvina speaks perfect English. So does um, her husband, Alberto Flores, and so does their captain, Manuel Castro. So you can talk to them and get more information on it. And, and there's a variety of people that will help you, myself included, with regard to a trip down that way. And we are, in fact, I was over at the Mexican consulate two days ago here in Los Angeles. We're planning some events for kids in Los Angeles. But we're talking about two caravans that we're going to be doing with the Programa Paisano and one will be to San Quintino, and another one will be to a place called Playa Saldamando. But that will be where you can get in a caravan with us. We'll go down. We'll take you there. We'll walk you through it. We'll make sure everything goes smoothly. Uh, we'll have a uh, raucous party. I will, of course, be drinking Diet Coke, or my AA sponsor will strangle me. But uh, the rest of you can imbibe if you like, and uh, we'll be there right along the way. So, yeah, uh, drop me an email if you, if you like at phil at PFO Radio. Dot com and I'd be more than happy to help. Or talk to Talachi down there or any number of other great folks in San Quentin, Ensenada, Bonnie's fleet there at Punta Banda. He speaks beautiful English, and it's great fishing there also. Uh, also, if you... Uh, oh, go on. If, no, if you, I, I was... Uh, if you want, uh, hey, the coast, uh, a few sand bass, Catalina Island, Sport King, over 40 yellows recently, and wide open lobster on the Gale Force and Triton at Catalina. They've been limiting out every single time. Santa Ana River Lakes, Super Trout, and Sierra Bows, some giant fish and lightning trout. 
you know, Phil, I was going to mention, if you go down and uh, stay at a place like Rosarita Beach or the Corral uh, or, you know, like Rosarita Beach, when we wanted to do anything, we'd just get a hold of the concierge there. I don't know if Vanessa is still at Rosarita Beach, but, man, they have all the ins and outs and can make the reservations for you that all you have to do is show up in the front of the hotel and everything else is turnkey after that. Oh, John, you're so right. Vanessa's a dream. She is still there. I will be seeing her in person tomorrow because I am going down to throw a party on Tuesday, which is Dia de Candelaria, and your Latin American fans and Mexican fans will know that when you eat the rosca on Dia de Reyes, as I did, and you get the baby Jesus, you have to go back and throw a big party on February the 2nd. So I'm headed down there to throw that party for Rosie Torres and the Boys and Girls Club of Rosarito Beach there in Rosarito. And then coming back, I'll be stopping in San Diego Wednesday evening at the Bahia Resort Hotel to give a little presentation for the San Diego Anglers Club. That's Wednesday night at 7 p.m. I'm really looking forward to seeing everybody there. And that meeting is open to the public, too. So if you'd like to go over and introduce yourself to Phil and uh, 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 Luis Almeida, who's the president of the organization, and all the members over there, uh, Make sure to make it. You can just go to SanDiegoAnglers.com and get the information on their meeting. Hey, Phil, if we want to get updated on just what the heck you've been doing that uh, we haven't been able to mention here and uh, a lot of your other blog, how's the best way to do it? Hey, John, we've got all kinds of great stories on PFORadio.com. You can go to Facebook and look up PFO. And, of course, we do it all in Spanish also, www.aventurasaladelibre.com. And we are on the radio, AM 690 Radio, Fridays. Big news, John. We are changing our time from 9 p.m. to 7 p.m. this Friday. We're going to be on at a much better hour, as far as we're all concerned, than back on Sundays at 6 a.m. That is AM 690, the only Spanish-language fishing show in Southern California and Baja. And I am so proud of the people that surround me on that show. Joaquin Espinosa, Tatiana Torres. And, of course, Judith Topete. It's really a lot of fun, and looking forward to another great couple of shows this coming weekend. Well, Phil, you are some type of crazy guy if you are thinking that changing uh, from uh, 9 o'clock to 7 o'clock on Friday or 7 o'clock to 5 o'clock is a big deal, and you're getting excited at starting at 6 o'clock in the morning? Man, you are a fisherman. Uh, I'm ready to go, John. Ready to rock and roll. <laughs> All right, that was Phil Friedman with What the Heck is Phil Thinking? And Phil, uh, in the next coming weeks, uh, we're going to have to start talking a little bit about the upcoming Fred Hall show and what we're going to be doing there. Oh, I can't wait. We have a big, big raffle for the United States military that we're going to be doing so we can take more military guys fishing. And we will have some of those military guys. How about Joe Patino? A Marine at Camp Pendleton, he'll be at our booth in uniform asking for your help. Great kid, and uh, our military, there's nothing better. I'll tell you that right now. John, Wendy, Stan, Joe, Mike, and all the great folks out there, it is always such a pleasure for me to be on Rod and Reel Radio. Thanks a lot, Phil. That was Phil Friedman from uh, the PFO Radio. Uh, great to have you on. Hey, we've got to take a break right now. We've got uh, Joe and Mike Israel here. Wendy Toshar is with us. So, Stan Vandenberg. Coming up next, the Southern California Inshore Report with a fish icon himself, Captain James Nelson. Stay tuned. More of Rod and Reel Radio to come.
Angler's Arsenal is the serious angler's first choice for hand-poured plastics. McCoy Line, Spro Products, Gamakatsu Hooks, G. Loomis Fishing Rods, Shimano Products, Ovet Reels, and just about anything you hear advertised on Rod and Reel Radio. Go to anglersarsenal.com and visit our online tackle store. See the huge selection of Western Plastics hand-poured baits, all at anglersarsenal.com. Angler's Arsenal Tackle Store is conveniently located in La Mesa, just off Interstate 8. Give us a call at 1-800-428-8730. If you're serious about your fishing, choosing the right tackle is one of the most important decisions you'll ever make. Iserline makes premium fishing lines including monofilament, Dacron, Spectra, fluorocarbon, battle-tested harnesses, and top angler-tested Iserline tools and accessories. Iserline premium fishing products are created to provide you with the ultimate in strength, dependability, durability, high abrasion resistance, low stretch, and high quality. All Iserline products are 100% guaranteed against manufacturing defects. You just can't buy better value. Iserline will replace or repair at their option. No questions asked if you're not pleased with any of their products. Catch what you've been missing. Quality guaranteed. Every serious angler knows that a quality hook is an important part of their arsenal. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel, specially heat-treated to make them light and extra strong but not brittle. Gamakatsu ring hooks are made with a one-piece ring, no welds, no weak spots, a very smooth-moving ring. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing. Live bait hooks, both light and heavy-duty, to four extra strong. Circle hooks, tuna hooks, ring hooks, tuna doubles, and many more. Don't waste your next fishing trip on a cheap hook. Get Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. My Angler H2O. I will scent my lure with pride. And hope my boss doesn't notice the tan. I will outmaneuver drought-exposed sunken boats and outlast the hard-fighting largemouth bass. I will save water at home for better fishing out here and always, always wear my life jacket. What's your H2O? Tell us at BoatCalifornia.com. The California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways reminds you to wear it, California. This portion of Rod and Reel Radio is brought to you by the Rockley's Fish Release System. Now you can quickly and easily release fish suffering from barotrauma back to the depths they were caught. Look or ask for the Rockley's at your local fishing tackle dealer. Southern California, we want to welcome you back on this wild and crazy night to Rod and Reel Radio. Hey, we've been talking a little bit about what's been happening with the Bay with the winners of the 2016 San Diego Open Bay Bass Tournament. Joe and Mike Israel, they're still with us. And, hey, they might have a little bit to add also when we're talking to the fish icon himself with the San Diego Inshore Report, Captain James Nelson. Captain James, how are you doing? And I know you know Joe and Mike really well. Hey, John, I'm doing, I'm doing just fine. And, no, actually, uh, I have uh, – no, I'd love to know them a lot better. You know, as a matter of fact uh, – I'm sure. I'm sure they and Chuck can tell you a story about uh, <laughs> what they were willing to do for Chuck and I. And of course, we went a different direction. But uh, I appreciate it, guys, and congratulations. You did a good job. <laughs> That's great. I just to relate to him uh, uh, just briefly. Uh, what might uh, Captain James be referring to there? Oh, we came in the uh, day before the tournament, and we were talking to Chuck and um, told him a little bit about what we were going to be doing and. Um, he mentions that they had caught some good spotties and a big sand bass at another spot, and it sounded like it was up in the air where they were going to go to, but uh, yeah. I think that was it. And then they decided to go to their other area, and we saw Chuck later, and he said they caught a lot of fish, just, just no that, size. that big enough. Well, uh, uh, yeah. Jim, and, and also Stan, you, you probably know that. A lot of people call that dock talk, 
And when you kind of have a, a plan going and you talk to the other guys and they go, man, we're doing this, and you've got your own thing going, you, you just don't want to change. Well, that, you know, the one thing you never do is change your plans for your, whatever your tournament, whatever you're thinking on the, on the morning of the tournament because somebody else said, hey, they're going over here. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, and it, I, to, to a point, I agree with that. In hindsight, sometimes it look, you look silly not doing it, but, you know, what's really fun about it is that um, I can point to a red channel marker and say, you know, this is a spot to go to, and I know that there are a lot of guys who can't catch fish on that. And then they can point to a marker and say, James, this is the spot you got to go to. And then I can't catch fish on that spot. So I, I've always had a problem catching somebody else's, you know, fish. And, and they may do really well, and I'll just stand there and watch them and then go, what the heck? And then I'll go to my spot and I'll catch them. And it's well, you know, and that's very, very true because I have guys that, are, you know, one of the guys said I tried to poach one of your, your spots, but I couldn't catch any fish on it. And I know why because we're uh, maybe I'm, I know I fish it a certain way. Right, and I know that probably the guys, the the brothers, probably fished an area that a certain way, and let other people go through there and just fan cast and hope they get one. But that's not going to get their fish. So that's a that's a very good point. You know, and and there's no secrets in San Diego Bay, and with the, with the size of our lakes here in uh, in the Southwest, with uh, as small as they are, the number of fishing spots has gone down and down and down, but. Just because someone tells you where to fish, and Stan, you brought that up just right, the way you might approach that spot from a different direction or a different approach or a different presentation, it doesn't mean that just because you tell someone where you're fishing, they're going to catch fish because Joe and Mike here, they weren't the only ones on that jetty. There were people <laughs> you know, combing that jetty back and forth for the entire day, and there's people that probably fished that jetty all day that probably hardly got sniffed or didn't even get a keeper, and here the the guys come in with 11 pounds of fish. So they 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 had their program together. Hey, speaking of program together, Absolutely. Captain Jim, I've been seeing pictures of you fishing uh, this weekend, and even though we're in the middle of winter, man, you've caught some great fish with your clients. Yeah, you know we we've been doing pretty good, and. Uh, uh, it's it's been of course you know I'm not fishing a tournament and most of the time with my clients I'm not even fishing so of course there's good fish getting caught. <laughs> that's, that's what I do. Well, so, you know, Jim, so, yeah, it's more so, important that you catch fish for your clients than you go out with my employee and catch some in some rum dumb tournament that day. You know, you give up the opportunity to win a few thousand dollars, right? Well, yeah, well, yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, and I told him I wasn't going to bug him about it, but, you know, Chuck didn't bring a keeper over the rail the other day, so that was all, oh. but I told him I wouldn't bug him about it, I wouldn't say anything out loud, like, you know, on the radio or anything. <laughs> you know, Jim, we uh, understand that. You know, you know, know, we I, have I, the, I take nine-year-olds this... from Oklahoma or, you know, from, you know, 10-year-old or even grandmas from Chicago, and they go out and catch fish, but I take Chuck out, and I don't know. I'm just saying. <laughs> just saying. You know, we had great weather at the beginning of the week, and then we had, you know, we had a lot of advance warning of the storm coming on up, and a lot of times people like to go out fishing before a storm hits. Uh, Jim, why is that so? And 
does that apply to the bay as much as it might apply to fresh water? Uh, I think it applies to all waters that before a storm can get really good, but I think more so it kind of applies to the mindset of a of humans, you know, not to get all deep and empirical or in it. But I think uh, I think just a lot of people just have that, okay, it's a fear of loss, John. It's, it's like, okay, I've got a weekend. Sunday's going to blow real good. I know I can't go fishing that day. I better go Saturday. <laughs> so it's a fear of loss mindset. You get out there and you just think, okay, it's, this is the only day I'm going to have to fish before I get back to the work grind. I, I better make good of it. And and you do. I think so a lot of times. I think a lot of it is in the mind. And uh, fish do bite during a storm, but, again, it's back into the mind. You're thinking, oh, boy, you know, I really should have. I should have bought that uh, that new bib set because this one's leaking. Uh, I'm miserable. My coat, my toes are wet. You know, and you're constantly just off your game. You're not in your your positive mindset. Some guys love fishing in foul weather just because they do get that mindset. They do get that. Okay, the last time I caught a big fish, it was raining just like this. So I just feel like I'm going to catch a big fish today. And so they just got that positive mindset. And uh, even on a day like today, you go out in San Diego Bay, maybe to a lesser extent, uh, uh, Mission Bay, because it has exposure, westerly exposure to the uh, the ocean. But you go in San Diego Bay, it's somewhat protected by Point Loma. Uh, you know, there's it, it. You know, as long as it's safe, it's still real fishable. Yeah, you know, it just depends on areas. There's there's wind breaks, but I'll tell you what, John. I just got off the water. We did a, a full day trip. Got off the water um, a little early because it was blowing no matter which direction, and it was the wind was uh, wind was getting that what I call the Chicago effect, where it was just bouncing off everything that normally would deflect the wind. It was just coming back stronger, and it was just all over the place. It was good, a good thirty plus miles per hour with some gusts up to 50. I mean, there was sand being lifted off the beaches and just blowing all in the air. I mean, it was really bad. I mean, it was really bad. And uh, there for a while, though, it was it was somewhat navigable with the right gear on, and it was somewhat fishable. And the guy I took out there, I mean, he was he was made good at it. Uh, the, fish, the fish size wasn't there. The fish weren't really weren't biting, but he made some bite. And we, we got some fish, and and uh, just to give you a, another sign of pre-storm yesterday, it was quite different. We had nice flat water. They had to run out to the, some of the nearshore reefs that we like, and the guys that I had out there just absolutely whacked pigs. So you just never know. Yeah, I've got uh, Joe and Mike Israel with me, and uh, for those of you just turning in, they're the winners of the 2016 San Diego Open Bay Bass Tournament. And, and guys, you are more the typical fisherman to the fact that you're, you've got work schedules and other things in your life happening. You don't get a chance to go out. And when you plan a fishing trip, you you go no matter what. Do, do you find that uh, uh, when it's windy on a day like today or stormy like a day today, uh, uh, does it make any difference to the fishing? Or as uh, Jim said, a little more attitude uh, on your part and don't let the weather get you down? Uh, I think we've had good days and bad days when the weather's bad, but... Um, we'd probably base our probability on going if we've been able to go out recently or not. If it's been a few weeks and we've been waiting to go and we plan to go and the weather takes a turn, we're probably still going to go for it. Okay. you agree with that? Yeah, and uh, like James said, a lot of it's psychological. 
Um, and the tournaments are a lot like that too. And um, you don't want to be out when it's miserable, but that doesn't mean the fish aren't there. Right. So. A lot of times that means the fishing gets better. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Jim, I'm I'm really encouraged to hear that when the weather was nice, you still went outside the bay, it sounds like, and you were able to uh, put it on some fish. And here we are, the middle of winter, and that fishing is still holding up really well. Oh, John, the, the fish are so much into the red crab. Matter of fact, you're going to see me this week because I'm all out of those red craws. And, and, and in my little uh, party pack at the tournament, I got a little gift certificate for $5 off. So I definitely got to come in anyway. <laughs> oh, that doesn't apply to you, Jim. That doesn't apply to uh, uh, radio show people. <laughs> I got to get up to those red crawls, man. I don't get $5. Okay. Yeah. You know, good, no, Jim, good time to come in because we've just had a, a slew of orders come in for red crab looking types of things. So uh, I'm going to get the girls uh, working on that. Uh, I don't know about what tomorrow looks like. Just uh, depends on how much rain we get tonight. tonight but for sure this week, because we've got orders we've got to fill by the weekend. So, yeah, uh, come well, on in. I'll make uh, sure that we have plenty for you over there. So, Red <laughs> Crab is still we out there. Two, we got two guys here, that, or three guys here that are Bay Bass guys. Actually, you are too. But because we got this influence, we've got some rain, and it's going to, you know, the gutters are going to drain, and we're going to have muddy water and, you know, stained water, and there'll be an influx of whatever comes out worms and bugs, whatever, into the bay, how does that change bay bass fishing or the fishing in the bay, or does it change it at all? All you guys can throw in on this. That's a great question, Stan. That's a great question. I'll let the Israel brothers go into more detail on that, too. But uh, I'll tell you, uh, when it first rains and first dumps and first pours, sometimes there's just too much uh, other garbage and chemical smells that turns the fish off. But we had that. We already had that a couple of weeks ago. So uh, I would predict that this rain would be a little bit better. And, yes, it does flood the storm creeks, which are full of red worms, full of shrimp, and full of crayfish. So a lot of times I will fish next to those, those culverts, and you will catch fish by them. Like I said, I usually try to avoid it the first time, especially if you pull one. I know it sounds gross, but it's just a fact of human living. If you pull up next to one and you see a little rainbow color on the water, don't fish it. Yeah. Jim and Mike, uh, you have any experience after the storm? Uh, what do you think? Um, probably for us, uh, it has mostly to do with watercolor. Um, and we noticed the more stained it is, the more difficult it is. Um, so I think the more sediment is washed in at the beginning, uh, or the first rains that we get, or big yeah. rains. And uh, also with, uh, I think, probably chemicals, fertilizers and stuff, we notice a lot of algae blooms sometimes start right after rains as well. Well, okay, we well, fish, well, the bait fish, fish then move uh, along that color line there, and the bigger fish run the edge of that color line? Uh, I mean, for the methods that we're doing, we do calicos in uh, typically not deep water, so the um, color you see on the surface is more likely what the fish are going to be in, too. Um, yeah. So if it's really murky and muddy from a bunch of storm runoff, um, and you find an area where that meets decent green or blue-colored water, um, We've had decent luck fishing those color changes. Yeah. Right. Well, Captain James Nelson, the fish icon, it seems like the winter bite of 2016 is continuing. And go to see Captain James Nelson, or actually James Nelson on Facebook. James is always posting the pictures of especially the first fish that his clients catch. Captain James, uh, for people that want to be part of that, how do they get a hold of you and book a trip? 
Well, they can, they can reach me on Facebook and do it that way. Our, a little bit more older methods, I guess, would be email james at thefishicon.com. And then even more old school is just give me a call at 619-395-0799. All right. Hey, Captain James, pleasure being with us. Uh, we look forward to your report coming up next week. Hey, that's it for the first hour of Ron Real Radio. We've got uh, Gary Klein coming on up. He's going to be talking about Major League Fishing and all kinds of good stuff like that. So stay tuned. There is more to come. You can count on El Cajon Ford, as so many Southern Californians have for years. El Cajon Ford has the cars and trucks you can count on, like the all-new Fusion and Escape, Edge, Explorers, and more. And now, Fiestas with 38 MPG and Focus with 40 miles per gallon highway, plus C-Max Energy with up to 42 highway EPA estimates. El Cajon Ford has them now. Shop online at ElCajonFord.com. Choose from hundreds of your favorite F-Series trucks, too. El Cajon Ford knows trucks, no matter what you're hauling or towing, for a great weekend of fishing or for some fun in the desert. Now get special savings on every F-Series truck in stock, 150s, 250s, 350s, at El Cajon Ford. We have commercial trucks, too, including the all-new Transit Connect, finally a commercial van with great mileage, helping your business get moving again. El Cajon Ford, worth the short drive from anywhere in Southern California, Broadway and East Main at El Cajon, or online anytime, anywhere at ElCajonFord.com. H&M Landing is the most diversified sport fishing company on the West Coast. Serving the angling community since 1935, H&M Landing's name recognition and reputation for customer service is the best in the business. The H&M fleet provides the widest range of trip options and boasts the coast's largest open party fleet. For ocean fishing any time of the year, H&M Landing should be your choice for nearshore and offshore fishing. H&M is San Diego's most experienced sport fishing company, offering the best in half-day, three-quarter day, full, and multi-day trips, and a complete schedule of long-range adventures. Call today, H&M Landing, 619-222-1144, or visit their website at www.hmlanding.com for updated schedules and secure online booking. H&M Landing, the experienced angler's first choice in local and multi-day fishing since 1935. That's H&M Landing at 619-222-1144 or hmlanding.com. My Angler H2O. I will never use that fakey fluorescent pink bait or drag my hula popper through the mud. I will outmaneuver drought-exposed stumps, rocks, and submerged station wagons and outsmart the ravenous river otter. I will save water by taking shorter showers for higher lakes, and I will always, always wear my life jacket. What's your H2O? Tell us at BoatCalifornia.com. The California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways reminds you to wear it, California. Quantum Fishing's got something for everybody. From the smallest angler to the oldest veteran, we can get you out there fishing with the greatest reels on the market today. From the all-new for 2016 Icon PT to the Tour Mag to the brand-new redesigned Smoke Reel, we've got something for everyone in your family. Have some fun. Take a kid fishing. They're the future of our sport. Quantum, we are performance-tuned. You can get your Quantum products at anglersarsenal.com or anglersarsenal in the Mesa at 619-466-8355. Hi, this is BSS record holder Dean Rojas. El Cajon Ford helped me when I got started in my career and let them help you with a new F-Series Ford truck. And remember, nobody beats El Cajon Ford. 
And we want to welcome Southern California back to Rod and Real Radio. Stan Vandenberg's here with us tonight. So is Wendy Toshihara. And, you know, it is a pleasure to introduce my first guest. But before that, a couple of days ago, I came across a 1982 program for the Western Bass U.S. Open. And that was fished on Lake Mead. Yeah, that, that program goes back from there. And, and one of the uh, profiles of this angler, they talked about him fi- starting to fish when he was 15, joined the Bassmaster Circuit in 1979, finished in the money in all six of the uh, first events that he uh, finished in. He was the runner-up for the uh, Bassmaster Angler of the Year in, in uh, 1979, uh, be- being beat out only by Roland Martin, I think. All of the WON tournaments that he had won between 1979 and 1982, which was a number of them, a number of Bassmaster events that he won, including Lake uh, Lake Powell and uh, a number of other events. And I want to bring him on the show and introduce our listening audience to him because he's from Oroville, California. He's a California product. Everyone, I want to introduce you to Mr. Gary Klein and ask him, Gary, what the heck have you done since then? <laughs> Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, I tell you, man, that that was a great intro. I really, really appreciate that. And <clears throat> yeah, it sounded to me like you were trying to date me a little bit. <laughs> you know, I I'll give you a date here, Gary Stan Vanderberg. Yeah, I I still feel like I'm about sixteen. It's uh, it's been a fun ride. I mean, I it, you know, so fishing is something I've always been very passionate about, and that's one thing to have longevity, especially in any sport, but especially in what I do at the highest level of competition, you have to have a passion for it, and I really do. I think we find that as a common thread to uh, a lot of the pro anglers that we talk about. And Stan, you had a comment? Yeah, I got a, I got a Gary Klein story a long, long ago in, in tournaments far, far away that you had Western Bass and Swab out here, and somewhere between in late 70s and, and the early 80s, I think we were at Pleasant, fishing and this was when you're fishing angler or the angler in the boat back back yeah. when but gary had a new product so when we checked in we were all given this new product that he handed all of us and i had took this little jug of stuff and said crawdad formula one on it and, <laughs> and i and i'm looking at this thing and i i ended up going i i fished for contender rods and the ryobi reels there was paul carmody and Corey christensen and mike gardner and myself and I think Jack O'Malley and Barry from Arizona, I can't remember Barry's last name, but I had to go around the table at the end. I go, Gary, do you really think this works? And he goes, you'll have to prove it to yourself. So I just threw it in the bottom of the boat and didn't use it in the tournament there, but I finished well and then came out. And a couple of weeks later, I was up in Northern California, someplace in Central California. We're fishing, I think, uh, Millerton or something like that for spotties. And we can see these fish moving under the boat and can't get them to bite. And nothing will work. And I, and I was fishing a team tournament with my brother. I said, you know, he goes, man, I don't know. Maybe I stink. And I said, well, here, Gary Klein gave me this. Maybe it'll help. Squirted some of that stuff on his bait. He threw it out there, immediately got thumped, and we left. Went back to a little pocket where we'd seen fish moving in and out of there and finished second and ended up angler of the year with the stuff. The spotties loved it up in Central California. So thank you, Gary. I haven't had a chance to say that. <laughs> Well, if anything else, it, it gave you a little bit of a little bit of a boost, a little bit of confidence. And, uh, yep. You know that's that's one thing about fishing. That's you know the, it's one thing that I've learned in this sport. It always changes. 
Yeah, no matter who you are or how good you think you are, it always changes. It's a very humbling sport, and, you know, I'm no different than any other angler. You get a little little thing going that's a confidence builder, and you fish it better. When you tie it on, you make the cast better, you fish the bait better, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of really good stuff, a lot of good uh, equipment out there and products that, you know, do give anglers a lot of confidence and help us catch more fish. Yep. You know, Gary, you're one of the first generation of, of uh, Southwestern boys to actually travel back east and make it big on the tour. And, uh, you know, a lot of the kids today, they, you know, they don't they don't remember some of the guys that started uh, because, you know, they, they think of Aaron <laughs> Martins and Dean Rojas and Ish Monroe yeah. and, and Skeet Reese and guys like that, you know, that, that are fishing today. But, boy, you had a, a big corral of people that – were great fishermen from uh, uh, especially the California area that that you fished with and did really well in these events on a national basis. Well, exactly. You know, uh, you know, again, I was introduced to my Terry. I didn't even know what a bass fishing tournament was. I was working on uh, uh, the marina, Big Bull Canyon Marina there on Lake Orville, and it was just a weekend, you know, typical weekend, and I saw these boats start to roll in, and, uh, you know, I started asking questions, and, and found out that it was a bass fishing tournament, and $500 went to first place. So I kind of hung around and was there at the weigh-ins, and uh, D. Thomas won that event. <laughs> and I was, you know, I was so jacked about, I'm as good as all these guys. You know, I fish all the time. And anyhow, I looked at, I went up and actually introduced myself to D. Thomas, and I looked him right in the eyes, and I said, D., one of these days I'm going to be just as good as you. And that guy <laughs> looked me back in the eyes, gave me a big bear hug, and said, bring it on. <laughs> that's perfect and, uh, <laughs> yeah you know i mean and, and you know d d is, is like my second father and you know i think i was like the son that d didn't have and you know we spent a lot of time together uh he's very very competitive uh d never gave me anything he made me work real hard for it uh, but he gave me just a little bit enough information to get me going in the right direction and you know i'd go out and keep working on it but <clears throat> it was definitely a fun upbringing um, you know, I mean, I was kind of um, a very fortunate young kid because I did have a passion for fishing. And, you know, we fished Western Bass, and Western Bass was just starting. Um, very competitive group of guys from, you know, Southern California and Northern California. And, you know, I, I met Mike Folkstad. Uh, I grew up with him, and I spent a lot of days in the water with him. So, you know, basically I say D taught me how to run shallow water, and Mike Folkstad taught me how to read a meter and fish offshore. Um, it was just, it was amazing upbringing, but early in my career, of course, I had no idea that, you know, fishing would turn into what it has into the industry, the size of the industry that it has today. All I knew is that I wanted to do something that I enjoyed, something I had a passion for and fishing was it. Uh, so I really, really started pushing real hard, but it came pretty obvious to me in order for me to really, really make it. I was going to have to go and compete on the national level. So that's why in 1979, I saved a couple bucks and uh, went out and started fishing BASS. And to this date, I've never looked back. And, you know, I have people, I'm 58 years old now, and I've had people say or ask me the question, you know, have you ever thought about quitting? And that has never entered my mind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I mean, uh, you know, I retired when I was 16 years old. Um, I have a lot of, a lot of my friends that are very wealthy and, that's all they want to talk to me about is fishing. You know, they're so tied up with work, they don't ever get a chance to go. 
and it's kind of sad to see. But uh, it's been a really, really good ride for me. Uh, I have no intentions of quitting. Uh, there's always a lot of new stuff on the horizon. But what I really like today is, you know, I've seen the industry change so much. You know, of course, the, the anglers now are so much better. And the way I have to compete now is completely different than the way I competed when I started some, you know, a few years ago. Isn't that it's the constantly truth? changing. And, and I think that's part of the thing that I like about this sport is it never gets old. It never gets dull. And just about the time you think, you know, you get in a groove, it changes. And you've got to go out, study, do your homework, and get right back in the groove. And I practice all the time. I fish all the time. But the most important asset that I have is I'm true to myself, and I have a passion for fishing. So it works out pretty good. You know, Gary, because I, you know, I, I fished for several years. Still, still, I'm still fishing tournaments and, and, and yeah. three years old, and, and, and I, I have that same burning passion. I love winning, <laughs> and I still mm-hmm. do. But, you know, it's, I stayed local. I had to you know, run the business but kept fishing and stayed in the sport. But... I think it, fishing around the younger guys that are coming up that are so good actually keeps you sharper, and you learn from them. Oh, exactly. I mean, every day you're on the water, you learn, and every time you get it handed to you, you learn. And You know, there's so much out there. It's just a matter, if you know, if you as an individual want to take all this information and really learn a lot more about yourself, uh, because the bottom line, no matter how advanced we all get, no matter how good this equipment that we're using continues to be, you still have to tie a lure on the end of the line and make a cast out in the water and catch a fish. And I don't care if you're fishing off the bank or if you're in a rubber life raft or if you're in a kayak. Um, bass don't know that. Nope. You know, so that approach is really, uh, that's one thing in fishing that will never change. Well, Gary, you know, you were mentioning that in your in the early days, in the early 80s and everything like that, yeah, you'd won a tournament, but there wasn't, you know, the cash that was in the tournament, and uh, a lot of the promoters would come up with other things that uh, you could take home for winning a tournament, and some <laughs> of that helped you. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, um, my very first Western Bass tournament was uh, the, the, the very last tournament of the season after Orville. It was on Lake Don Pedro. And, of course, I didn't have a boat. I had a learner's permit. I was 15 and a half. And I drove myself down to Lake Don Pedro, uh, never been on the water, and I just went as a non-boater, and I finished 37th place. I mean, I was so green that I had one spinning rod, and I actually got a bait caster to take with me just so that my partner that I drew out with didn't really know that I wasn't that great or whatever. I never picked it up and threw it because I didn't know how to throw it without getting a backlash. But it, it still made me look cool. I had my two rods <laughs> and you know, my tackle boxes. And, and uh, anyhow, I ended up finishing 37th place. And, and for 37th place, I won two dozen Lindy Little Joe Chartreuse Spinnerbaits. I'll never forget it. And all, the drive home back to Orville, I was thinking, on a $25 entry fee, I made my money back. So, anyhow, I was pretty excited. Yeah, your first boat, though. Tell us uh, how you came about your first boat. Uh, (laughs) Well, that very next year, I actually bought a boat. Uh, I was 16 years old, so I could tow it. And that was my first year that I fished on on the full Western Bass Circuit. And, again, I finished second for Angler of the Year. 
but I practiced out of my boat, and then I went as a non-boater. Uh, it was a little 15-foot Terry Bass boat with a 50-horse Mercury on it with a six-steering. And I didn't think it was that great of a competitive boat, but it got me around to where I could practice. And we had some idea, but we fished some really good lakes back then. And, and again, I was learning from D. Thomas. Every time I was around that man, he kept feeding me things, and I kept trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together. He never really laid it out to me, but he gave me enough to go on. And any time I got up, you know, kind of, um, um, how can I say this? Any time I got confused and I just talked to D, and D would say, you know, you need to be looking or you need to be doing this. And, and all of a sudden I would change and, you know, things would start coming. Not easy. I had to work for him. But, um, well, you, you know, told- I just did. You know, the, the, the best part about that, I mean, because I was, you know, I was fishing in the Western Bass stuff back when, and, and mm-hmm. I looked at Mike Folkstad and, and Larry Hopper and Art Price. These guys were jig. I was I oh, liked to real. scrape the bottom out there, so I was a jig fisher. I learned how to fish the jig because those guys were always catching bigger fish, and they were in the money most of the time. And, the, and especially on the river lakes, it was a little different in, if you were in Northern California, especially if you're fishing the Delta a lot and, and the areas yeah. there where, where flipping became the part of that well actually it was started there and became part of the the fishing history uh mm-hmm. but it was it, it, there was no internet to go to there was no other way to learn except for by talking and going and fishing so you know to have the guys like like really Gary when he'd learn something he then he'd write an article and everybody else had learned by reading articles of other fishermen how they got the job done yeah oh exactly that was the only information that we had and most of the most of the information as we were learning and becoming bass anglers was self taught. And it was yep. self taught by trial and error. And hey guys. Uh, I mean I can I cannot tell you guys how many times I went to an event and I got it handed to me, so I would go to my home Lake Orville, I live five miles from the lake, and I would spend the next week or the next five days and the only rod that I would have in my boat was the <laughs> <laughs> that I got beat on trying to learn it, you know. I didn't know how to jig a spoon. You know, I wasn't much of a crankbait fisherman. You know, my first spinnerbait was an H&H spinnerbait. And um, so I had to really start learning a little bit. And, you know, of course, I, I'm the type of person that I like to always build and tinker, so I started tying jigs at a very uh, early age because I tied flies for trout, my little fly rod. So that, that was a natural for me. Um, you know, D kind of got me into tying the hair jigs and the rubber jigs, and it was it was really cool. And to this day, I carry a vice with me with all my equipment, all my jig heads, spinner baits, and I, I still build out of the back of my truck at every event we go to. Uh, you know, put your own little personal touches uh, in the skirts and build them the way you want to. But that's one thing, you know, I don't think, you know, looking back on a career personally, I don't think I could have ever gotten involved as a young kid in another sport or profession that has taught me more about the person that I am today than fishing. Because hey, I never had talk- it e- I, I never had it easy. I mean I had to I had to work for everything I had and you know, it's not all glamorous. I mean I had you know, a lot of down times where, you know, self doubt, starting to really second guess whether I made the right decision. Because when I left Northern California in 1979, I had no credit cards. I had worked to prepay two BASS tournaments, which were $250 a piece, yep. one in Florida, 
one on Lake Powell. And when I left California, I had $1,000 cash in my pocket. And if that ran out, I was done. Um, but anyhow, I never looked back, and it was, uh, it was it's worked out pretty good. Hey, we're speaking with uh, so. Garrett, Pro Angler Gary Klein. Gary, we've got to take a break right now. Uh, can you stay with us a little longer? Sure, I'd love to. Thank you. All right. Hey, this is Rotten Real Radio on AM 540 or at com. Stay tuned. Stan, Wendy, and I will be back with more with Pro Angler Gary Klein after these messages. Every serious angler knows that a quality hook is an important part of their arsenal. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel, specially heat-treated to make them light and extra strong, but not brittle. Gamakatsu ring hooks are made with a one-piece ring, no welds, no weak spots, a very smooth-moving ring. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing. Live bait hooks, both light and heavy-duty, to four extra strong. Circle hooks, tuna hooks, ring hooks, tuna doubles, and many more. Don't waste your next fishing trip on a cheap hook. Get Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. You can count on El Cajon Ford, as so many Southern Californians have for years. El Cajon Ford has the cars and trucks you can count on, like the all-new Fusion and Escape, Edge, Explorers, and more. And now, Fiestas with 38 MPG and Focus with 40 miles per gallon highway, plus C-Max Energy with up to 42 highway EPA estimates. El Cajon Ford has them now. Shop online at ElCajonFord.com. Choose from hundreds of your favorite F-Series trucks, too. El Cajon Ford knows trucks, no matter what you're hauling or towing, for a great weekend of fishing or for some fun in the desert. Now get special savings on every F-Series truck in stock, 150s, 250s, 350s, at El Cajon Ford. We have commercial trucks, too, including the all-new Transit Connect, finally a commercial van with great mileage, helping your business get moving again. El Cajon Ford, worth the short drive from anywhere in Southern California, Broadway and East Main and El Cajon, or online anytime, anywhere at ElCajonFord.com. H&M Landing is the most diversified sport fishing company on the West Coast. Serving the angling community since 1935, H&M Landing's name recognition and reputation for customer service is the best in the business. The H&M fleet provides the widest range of trip options and boasts the coast's largest open party fleet. For ocean fishing any time of the year, H&M Landing should be your choice for nearshore and offshore fishing. H&M is San Diego's most experienced sport fishing company, offering the best in half-day, three-quarter day, full, and multi-day trips, and a complete schedule of long-range adventures. Call today, H&M Landing, 619-222-1144, or visit their website at www.hmlanding.com for updated schedules and secure online booking. H&M Landing, the experienced angler's first choice in local and multi-day fishing since 1935. That's H&M Landing at 619-222-1144 or hmlanding.com. Hey, everybody, this is a message for our listeners from a new Baja Magic Lodge at Cedros Island. Cedros Outdoor Adventures wants to make your dream of fish at Cedros Island a reality. Want to go after giant calicos or yellowtail with the best Cedros Island fishing organization, but you just don't know who to contact? Then give Cedros Outdoor Adventures a call at 619-793-5419, or even better yet, log on to their informative website at cedrosoutdooradventures.com. There you can visit their trip calendar and schedule a trip that's convenient for you. Once again, the phone number is 619-793-5419 or their website of cedrosoutdooradventures.com. 
Captain Chris Randall from Chief Sports Fishing. And Captain Chris, tell us about what's happening on the Chief now that the tuna season is upon us. It's here and it's time to go on the Chief. For those that are not familiar with the vessel, she's an 85 by 24 deluxe sport fisher that offers a wide variety of open party trips ranging from one to five days in length. We're also available for private group charters. The Chief's onboard anemones include a fully remodeled galley with comfortable seating for 25, twin flat screen TVs with hundreds of movies, two roomy indoor heads with fresh hot water showers, stateroom and open berthing areas, an impressively large deck area, 200 scoop bait capacity, we have twin six ton spray brine fish holds to keep your catch fresh, and our professional courteous crew will go the extra mile to make your trip a memorable one. To view our schedule, log on to H&M Landing at www.hmlanding.com or feel free to give them a call at 619-222-1144. You can also follow us on Facebook and at our webpage at chiefsportfishing.com. Hi, my name is Dennis Green, and I always love to talk about fishing. When I want the real information, I go to Rod and Real Radio. Those guys are who I thought they were. Stan, Wendy, and I, we want to welcome you back to Ron Real Radio. Boy, do we have exciting new news for you. Ron Real Radio is now available as a podcast that you can subscribe to on iTunes, Stitchers, or your favorite podcast application. Just search for Ron Real Radio and subscribe. Get notified as soon as new episodes are available. Download past shows and listen anytime you want. But don't worry, if you don't like uh, you know, downloading like that, you can just go to ronrealradio.com, hit the archive page, and the newest show should be available about 24 hours after we get off the air. So uh, listen to Ron Real Radio any other time you can. Our special guest this hour is uh, pro bass angler Gary Klein. And, and Gary, I happen to mention the boat. You've had a long association with Ranger, but you, you kind of have a unique story on how you got your first Ranger boat. Well, actually, I, I you know, I'm, I'm not running a ranger now, but in my early in my career, what happened is that I won that tournament on Lake Powell. And what really worked out good for me is that on the second day of that BASS tournament, Lake Powell, I blew my engine. I had an old boat. I was about ready to fall apart on me. So when I won that event, I just kept the boat that I won and competed out of that. And that kind of got me a, a start. And then Forrest was kind enough to uh, continue a program with me. And I ran Rangers up until 1985, and then I left Ranger. But, um, you know, I've been with several boat companies during the course of a career. And, you know, that's one of the things that I always look at, you know, sponsors and all the industry-related companies that we have that really support the sport. And they don't only just support, you know, myself. They support a lot of anglers across the country and, you know, I really feel that we're all in this thing, to, you know, together, try to build it, get more people fishing, and more people into the outdoors. Right. Hey, you know, uh, after you left, uh, you know, California, I know you were fishing more, you know, uh, out on the uh, the East Coast to fish BASS, and and uh, how, how did that go for you? What type of an experience was out there fishing with a lot of these guys that you saw on the fishing programs and, and meeting something, um, especially guys like Roland Martin and, uh, you know, Bill Dance and everything. Well, exactly. And, you know, that's one of the things in the early years, uh, you know, we did, we drew boat to boat at all yep. of the DISS events. In fact, that was one of the sweet things about the victory at Lake Powell is on the final day of the event, 
I was the last angler to weigh in, and uh, <laughs> I beat Bill Dance. And I beat Bill Dance by one pound, and that was just awesome for a kid that's 20 years old. So Bill and I are great friends. We go way back. But uh, it was just a, it was a real special moment for me. And But over the course of the year, what I was going to say, that over the years, I've drawn, you know, Rick Klein, Roland Martin, um, you know, all these great, great angles. In fact, the second day draw that I had on the uh, St. John's River was Tom Mann Jr., or not Jr., but Tom Mann Sr. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> of course, he got a flipping, he got a little flipping demonstration, but, uh, you know, that was one of the things that uh, happened to me, and that was really what gave me the ability to come out and compete against the best. Because I knew that I couldn't compete against him throwing a spinnerbait. I wasn't going to compete against Jimmy Houston or Rick Clun cranking and yada, yada, yada. But believe me when I say nobody knew how effective the flipping technique was. And literally, all the events I competed in, that's all I did was flip. Flip, flip, flip. In the rod locker, I had seven flip sticks. That's the only rod that I carried with me. And, of course, I had to adapt sometimes, spinnerbait, top water, but I still threw them on my flip stick. But I had all the, I had all that water to myself. And I was so advanced, I was advancing so quick, the equipment wasn't keeping up with me. And the, the, in 1979, what failed me most often was the hook that I was using in flipping. And if I'd have had the hooks that I use today, uh, <laughs> I would have won angler the year by 40 pounds easy. You know, you need to explain the part, the part you're when you know. I'm laughing a little bit here to myself because in '78, '79, back then we were fishing. When you said you're, we're fishing boater to boater, that means yeah. you draw. And if you're the first boater drawn, it, you can use your boat, and the other guy fishes in the back of the boat, and you are fishing against each other. Now, this is a style that these guys today have no clue on. So to be able oh, to beat the yeah, guy in the front of the boat yeah. when he says, you know, I. The guy, he wasn't using the water up that Gary was using because he's throwing the spinnerbait somewhere else. And Gary had all clean water to fish. But he might explain a little bit about how that worked for you. <laughs> well, it worked out really good for me because I'm the type of angler. I mean, he taught me well. And D was a very fierce competitor. But D also taught me how to cat and mouse with other anglers. And I'm real good with people. So, you, you know, if I'm around you for a short period of time, anyhow, it was pretty cool. But uh, I always back feeding was part of the deal too. <laughs> I always had my partner stand with me on the front deck, so you were shoulder to shoulder. Uh, that way, I could talk to him, position the boat, and we could both fish together. I never fished against anybody. Uh, anybody in the boat with me, I was just as happy to see them catch a fish as I was. Uh, because two guys, two good fishermen fishing, you know, I'm going to go out and enjoy the day. I don't want to go out and fight somebody. And, you know, yeah, I had some moments. I had some guys take me out of contention to win because what it was is they were just so misled. They didn't really understand fishing, and they didn't understand what they may have found. And um, so anyhow, I got led down a a wrong path a couple times. But still, it was a great opportunity to learn. You know, I fished with Guido Hibden. I think I've drawn him about eight different times. I fished with... Guido Hibden for the first time in 1981 on Lake Mead on the fourth day. Back then, the U.S. Opens were four-day events. Yep. The final day of the event, Guido drew me. Guido had just fished with Bobby Garland on the third day. Well, there's a learning and experience. 
you got it. And, and that was the first day that Guido Hibden was introduced to the Gibson. And when I drew Guido, I was in the top ten, and Guido said, Gary, I know you're around him. I'm just going to sit in the back of the boat and throw this crazy little bait that I was fishing yesterday. And, uh, you know, I was fishing up in Greg's Basin throwing a Zura Spook, and uh, we had such an awesome day. I mean, we crushed them. And I caught a good stringer of fish, and Guido probably was catching four and five to, you know, my one. But uh, anyhow, just a great man. You know, I drew Guido at Livingston, one of the BASS tournaments that I won there, and Guido, you know, landed every mm-hmm. fish that I caught to win that event. So, you know, but that was a learning process. And today's anglers that fish by themselves or with, you know, like on BASS, we have marshals. Uh, I've never really fished a lot of team tournaments. I just fish a few. But I'm more of a loner. I'm more of an individual. I want to do things uh, GK style. Um, I don't want to have to jerk the troll motor up and explain to somebody why this didn't feel right and I'm going to move. I like to fish a lot by the seat of my pants. But the anglers today that fish by themselves all the time aren't getting that exposure to a different approach or a different outlook on fishing. So... Um, I guess the flip side to that is that there's a lot of social media. I mean, you can do a lot of research now and basically read about all the techniques and all the anglers. You know, they pretty much, you know, spill everything. But it's still up to that person to take that information and go out and do your homework. You've got to practice. You've got to learn it. And you've got to be true to yourself. I am with you 100% on that. Uh, and I think that's a that's a, a part of the fishing experience that people miss today. Uh, everybody wants to keep everything a secret. When you were fishing man-to-man and you learned, because, I mean, it was, uh, I fished with Bobby Garland, and, and, and he was, when he had that first day of the first tournament, he fished that spider jig, and I was going, whoa, that, what the heck were you catching those fish on? I think it was at Mojave, actually. But when he yeah. when he showed me, it was like, well, how do you even put it together? Because I had no idea <laughs> how to put those two pieces together. But it was exactly. that learning experience of fishing with other guys, and yeah. and and I mean, there was that backseating thing where the guy in the front didn't want you to catch him if you were behind him because you're fishing mm-hmm. against each other. But you could get around that if you were good, uh, and and if you learned, let's say, like you were, you had the flipping thing down. The other guys just like to throw it crankbait or a spinnerbait, well, then you have to figure out how to outfish them from the back of the boat. And then at the, at the middle of the day, no, you got I, to switch. I would have my guy in the bow from crankbait. Yeah, but in the middle of the day, a lot of the times, like guys, that if you had that, if you did that, and you fished with a guy in the front of the boat and you didn't care, well, then that, that worked a lot easier for you. You could catch your fish and whatever else. But the guys that didn't, you, you'd swap at noon the guy that was in the back of the boat got the front of the boat for the day or for yeah. that half of the day. It was a, a learning experience, but I still you learned a lot about how to catch a fish from other guys and other techniques. Oh, you, yeah, you really do. And uh, one thing that I really prided myself in is being able to go to a new body of water and think about, you know, time of year, type of lake, main species of fish and current conditions and put myself in an area, uh, you know, where I can catch them. And, you know, in the early years, you got to think when I left Northern California, uh, everything west or everything east of Arizona was new to me. And yeah. So every, there for many, many years, with the exception of a few repeats on the BASS circuit, uh, every body of water that we went to was a new body of water. And the majority of the time, 
I did not have the funds to go and practice. Uh, I, so I would just fish the three official days of practice and then fish the tournament. So I was conditioning myself to run water and fish current conditions. Um, you know, it's just you, you got to train for that. And today in fishing, um, I can't say that I don't fish. I, I still fish quite often. Um, but, yeah, I have a lot, of, lot more uh, engagements, a lot more commitments. Uh, so I don't have the free time to roam from lake to lake and, you know, spend a week here and a week over there the way I used to. Yeah. All right. Hey, we're speaking with Gary Klein, pro angler from, uh, you know, Oroville, California. Gary, you know, man, I can talk to you about, you know, the uh, your career in fishing, but there's a new program that you're involved with. It's called uh, Major League Fishing, and we've got to take a break right now. Could, can you stay with us longer to tell us a little bit about that? I'd love to talk about Major League Fishing. All right. Hey, Stan, Wendy, and I, we're here with pro angler Gary Klein. You're listening to Rod and Reel Radio on AM540 or at rodandreelradio.com. Stay tuned. Still more to come. Every serious angler knows that a quality hook is an important part of their arsenal. Gamakatsu hooks are made from high-grade carbon steel, specially heat-treated to make them light and extra strong, but not brittle. Gamakatsu ring hooks are made with a one-piece ring, no welds, no weak spots, a very smooth-moving ring. Gamakatsu offers a huge variety of hooks for all types of fishing. Live bait hooks, both light and heavy-duty, to four extra strong. Circle hooks, tuna hooks, ringed hooks, tuna doubles, and many more. Don't waste your next fishing trip on a cheap hook. Get Gamakatsu hooks at your favorite tackle store now. Hey, bass fishermen, who do you call for your bass boat insurance? Well, if you're not calling me at 1-800-BASS-BOAT for your boat insurance, you're probably paying too much and may not have the coverage that you need. In 1974, I developed the bass boat program that is what all the pros use today. The reason? No depreciation or any partial claim for your hull, your big motor, your trolling motor, or your electronics until your boat's 10 years old. That's right. You only pay $250 to get your boat on the water for any partial claim, and we still pay a stated value replacement cost for your boat if you have a total loss. We're the only people in the industry that does that, and that's why we are the choice of the pros. So if you want the best, forget the rest. Just call 1-800-BASSBOAT. Call 1-800-227-7262 or just spell BASSBOAT. 1-800-BASSBOAT. I know there's too many letters, but the T is free and the call's on me. That's 1-800-BASSBOAT, the choice of the pros for BASSBOAT insurance. For more information, log on to 1-800-BASSBOAT.com. My angler H2 Earth. Like the mighty flounder, I will keep one eye on the pole and the other watching for rogue waves. I'll save water by taking shorter showers and enthusiastically celebrate Talk Like a Pirate Day. Aye. I will chat up the locals before launching in unfamiliar waters. And I will always, always wear my life jacket. What's your H2O? Tell us at BoatCalifornia.com. The California State Parks Division of Boating and Waterways reminds you to wear it, California. It's tuna time, and it's time to reserve your spot on one of the newest boats in the fleet, the 70-foot Sea Adventure 2 at H&M Landing in San Diego. It has a roomy, comfortable galley that seats up to 24 passengers with all the comforts of home, including two big satellite flat-screen TVs and satellite phone. The huge new bait tank and slammer ensure plenty of bait for everyone, and two four-ton refrigerated fish holds, both RSW and blast-free, have plenty of room to keep your catch as fresh as the minute you caught it. Reserve your spot on the Sea Adventure Venture 2 online at hmlanding.com or call H&M Landing at 619-222-1144. 
Stan, Wendy, and I, we want to welcome you all back to Ron Real Radio. Our special guest tonight is pro angler Gary Klein. And, and Gary, there has been, you know, over the years, a number of fishing shows that have been on television, the cable, whatever you have, and they all have different formats. But there is a new buzz in the community about a program that you are heavily involved with. It's called Major League Fishing. Can you tell us a little bit about the concept and and how you developed it and and what it is for those people that may not be familiar with it? Well, Major League Fishing uh, is very close to my heart. I'm one of the co-founders along with Boyd Duckett. We're the ones that designed it and put it together. Uh, And we're not done with it. This thing is just growing like wildfire. It's, it's a competition for TV. But what I tried to do in design in Major League Fishing is I had to do something for the viewer. And I had to, I had to try to create a product where a viewer could have an experience. And that experience is being able to feel like they were sitting in the boat of the top professional anglers, watching them break down a lake and figure the fish out quick. And uh, that was really how the concept started. And, you know, it was five years in development. But we finally got it. Uh, we worked on the product, and uh, it's just been over the top. We're expanding. It's growing. Uh, our, you know, we're not done with it. Uh, my goal is to take it to network television and continue to build the audience. We've got a great, great business partner with uh, the Outdoor Channel, and the Outdoor Channel is, is just as excited about Major League Fishing as we are, and they're helping us really, really build the product. So it's fun to be a part of something that everybody across this country talks about. And one of the satisfying things for me at all the shows and stuff I go to is I hear the guys say, my wife hates fishing shows, but she loves Major League Fishing. She watches every one of them. And that just really makes me feel good because it feels like we're getting it right. You know, we've got a product that, yeah, it's based around fishing. It's heads-up competition. And um, it is true one-on-one competition, the way we have it set up. I tried to make it the purest form that I can, and I think we've really, really su- uh, succeeded with that. You know, Gary, I think, uh, well, one, I've seen it, and, and I think it's fun because it's exactly what we were talking about. The guy has to start without, you know, maybe you don't know the water, but you've got to go through the day and make decisions that that are, you know, what I've got to do to change and, and make these fish bite, or what do I have to use and if this one's not working. But that's the raw part of competitive bass fishing that is the best part. And, and riding it, that's where we were saying, you know, learning from the guy in the boat with you and, and you know, you – you exchange information and you figure out new techniques, whatever else. This gives the people of the world uh, a whole new experience of this is what we go through. This is what a competitive guy does to make changes to catch fish. I think that's brilliant. Well, thank you very much. You know, I, I talk about pure form one-on-one, and, I mean, anybody can take a look at the list of anglers. That fish is phenomenal. You know, we have the best of the best. And we go out of our way to protect the purity of the competition. And what I simply mean by that is no angler knows where they're going to go. None <laughs> of us. All we have on our calendars are the dates. And I'm heavily involved with it, but they keep Boyd and I out of site selection because we are anglers also. But literally, 
we start our competitions on Monday, and they run through Saturday. So we're there for six straight days going through the qualifying rounds, semifinal rounds to the championship Saturday. On Friday, on Friday, we all get a text and an email, and it gives us the host hotel of where we need to go. Now, we're, you know, all these guys have been around the country. There's probably not too many lakes in this country that we haven't been on, but there's a lot of them that we haven't been on. But what I was going to say is that as soon as we receive that information, we cannot research the area. We cannot go to Google and look at that area. We can't pull maps out and look at that area. We can't talk to anybody about the fishing in that area. We just show up. And because Yippee, we that's fish, great stuff. <laughs> yeah, and because we fish, well, it's like last season. We all get the text that we're going to Shreveport. So I'm thinking Red River. We've all been there before. It's a big river, a lot of different pools, a lot of water. So in my mind, I'm thinking I'm going to go to the Red River. We never fished the Red River. <laughs> There's five other lakes right there in the Shreveport area that we fished. Uh, and also the way I have the competition set up is that no one angler ever fishes the same zone or the same body of water twice during that week of competition. Whoa. And you don't know where you're going to go. The anglers have a group meeting. There's 10 anglers in the cup event. There's 10 anglers that have a meeting. They still don't know where they're going to go that night. They get their boat assignment. They get their marshal assignment, their boat official assignment. The next morning, we have a pullout time. If it's 5.15, you better be in that vehicle because it's leaving at 5.15. And you still don't know where you're going. You do not, you, you know, yeah, you're trying to guess, and we even jack with them. We, we got some back routes and stuff that all the guys take just to throw everybody off. But we show up at a boat ramp, and it, when you show up at the boat ramp, then you pretty much know where you're going to fish. And then we, we give each one of the anglers um, a detailed copy map of the zone or the lake that they're going to fish. And then we give everybody 15 minutes to ride around and look before we start fishing. You know, Gary, it sounds that like the, the first format thing in the world. The, uh, <laughs> it sounds like the first format of the U.S. Open where Ray Scott took all the qualifiers, threw them in an airplane, and says, we're flying to the lake, and we're not telling you where we're going. Well, in fact, I think here we had the, the flyaway. You know, you, the top 20 guys climbed on an airplane. You didn't know where you were going. You had to pack all your gear up, and they had the flyaway if you qualified for it at the end of the year. Same thing. Exactly. This is, but this, that I just think this is the coolest thing in the world. I'd love to been to be able to compete in the arena because I just think it's really fun. Well, thank yeah. you. Um, yeah, the format is just over the top. Yeah. But let me Great. just say this: our <clears throat> we have what we call our, our we have a real time leaderboard called Score Tracker, and that Score Tracker application app is available. For everybody. So if you wanted to, you know, Stan, say you and eight of your buddies wanted to go to San Vicente tomorrow and have a tournament or next weekend and have a tournament and do the same format that we do in Major League Fishing, all you have to do is go to MajorLeagueFishing.com, click on Score Tracker, and it'll give you all the detailed information where everybody that's fishing can download that app onto their phone and go and compete and run the same real-time leaderboard that Major League Fishing uses. And the really cool thing about that 
is in bass fishing tournaments, we have a lot of family members that are kind of curious about what's going on. But they're yeah. kind of out in the cold until after the results. So <laughs> they can also get that app, and they can be sitting in the office watching how Stan's doing in the competition on Saturday. You know, Gary, for people that, that would be uh, great, aren't familiar but... with what the format of the show is, uh, uh, are you trying to catch big fish? Are you trying to catch the five largest fish? What, what, are, what are the fishermen trying to do, and what's their goal? Well, the, 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 <clears throat> the way our week is set up is this. When I go to a Major League Fishing Cup event, there's 30 anglers. We fish three qualifying days of 10. The top four advance to the semifinal round. So I'll have 12 anglers that advance to the semifinal round. The other anglers are done for the week. They go home. The semifinal rounds, we fish two days of six anglers. Now, the semifinal round is different than a qualifying round. Qualifying round... We fish three periods that are two and a half hours in length. We have a 30-minute break between period one and two and between two and three. And during that 30-minute break, we run back to the rendezvous point, swap out batteries, guys eat lunch, and then they continue on and get ready for the next round of competition. The semifinal round is a little bit different. We've been in that area for a few days. We get a feel how the fishing is. So what we do is we post a cut weight on or uh, a qualifying weight. Let's say it's uh, the cut weight on that fishery is 32 pounds. So the first three anglers that cross the threshold of 32 pounds will advance to the championship round. <laughs> I love this. So during the semifinal rounds, it may not go all three periods. Uh, we've had some anglers go out in the first period, uh, we've had all three anglers go out in the second period where we didn't even have to compete in a third period. Um, if no angler reaches that threshold of 32 pounds, then we go by total weight. We weigh all scorable bass, and those scorable bass are usually dependent on the state size limit, 12 inches, because we do not possess the fish. They're caught, weighed, and released, and that's done in less than 30 seconds. So the wow. fish immediately go back into the water. But uh, we've had some blowouts in the past where, you know, it takes 70 pounds to win, 80 pounds to win. Uh, and we've had some really tough ones, too, where 16 pounds wins. Uh, it's not like, you know, we fish a lot of great fisheries uh, all the time, but we do go to some that are pretty special. But the whole key is that the viewer, when he turns on the TV and sits down and watches Major League Fishing and Kevin Van Dam's in there, he can watch Kevin Van Dam go through his... We all go through our rituals of, you know, pop water crank, you know, try to get dialed in, and then all of a sudden you can see how quick the guys get dialed in. But one of the things that's happened with Major League Fishing that just blows me away are the lead changes. I mean, literally, you can watch a, an episode and watch somebody that, you know, going into the third period, they're dead last, and they win the event. It just, it, it just blows me away, and a lot of these events that we have, there'll be four or five, seven, eight different lead changes during the course of the day of competition. And then, of course, on champ, uh, championship Saturday, we take those six finalists that qualify from the three, uh, from the two semifinal days, and then they fish in championship Saturday. Championship Saturday, they fish all three periods, two and a half hours a period, and it's total weight wins the championship round. And, and the fishermen could be penalized, and it drives them crazy. What, what's it about the penalties now? Well, you're talking to the guy that designed all that. 
I'm the one that did it. I'm, hey, I just think it. this is the most fun thing in the world myself. <laughs> well, I had a lot of thought that I put into it, but I literally was sitting out in my shop in my boat, pulled out a notepad, and I wrote the format to Major League Fishing in 30 minutes. And uh, once I got the format down, I, uh, I started writing the penalties. And what I, if you really, really read the penalties, this is how I came up with the penalties. What I don't like, Major League Fishing is everything that I don't like about conventional fishing. In other words, conventional tournaments, you take off in the morning, and nobody knows what's going on until you come back to weigh in. So you're basically competing against a field of 150 or however in the blind. You could be having the best day of fishing ever, and all you're doing is catching just enough to get behind. And you weigh, you know, maybe you caught 32-pounders, and uh, you didn't know the other guys were catching four-pounders. In Major League Fishing, every fish that's caught is updated on the real-time leaderboard, so you know, you know who's catching them. You don't know where, but you know who's catching them, and you know where you're positioned all the time. So that forces the angler to make decisions based on current, uh, information, and because it is a timed event, all of the penalties are all done uh, by time penalties. But what I what I did with the with the um, with the rules is, for example, if you catch a fish and he gets hung in a bush and he's down in a bush or up underneath the boat dock, in regular events you can't get out of the boat to go get the fish. In MLF you can. You can get out of the boat, dive under the water, go get the fish. Hey, it's a four-minute penalty. But a lot of anglers will take that four minutes, you know, to go get that fish. You just have to sit down on the bottom of the boat. Um, two lines in the water. Who says, you know, you make a long cast of the Carolina rig, and all of a sudden three-pounders come blowing up. In a regular event, you have to reel your line in before you can make another cast. Major League Fishing, you can just drop your rod, pick another one up, and fire it out there. It's a one-minute penalty. Well, That's Gary, a good deal, by the way. <laughs> Gary, That's we're a running into a, a time constraint here. Where can we see Major League uh, Fishing? And tell us about some of the sponsors that make it possible. Well, I tell you, we, we have a full list of sponsors. Bass Pro Shop is a major sponsor. Jack Links, I mean, you know, we've got 30, 40 sponsors. It's, it's pretty intense, and I wouldn't be able to name them all. Uh, you, can, you can do Major League Fishing. We're airing our 2016 season right now. In fact, I watched one of the episodes today. Uh, go to uh, the Outdoor Channel and uh, watch them. They're, uh, they're pretty awesome. But anyhow, they are available on the Outdoor Channel. We also, if you go to MajorLeagueFishing.com, uh, check them out on the website. Read our website because we live stream these uh, after the events are over so you can watch them at no charge. All right. Gary Klein, thanks a lot for being with us, uh, talking about your career, exciting, and also Major League Fishing. Uh, you know, if we get the opportunity, I'd sure like to catch up to you again and, and talk more about these subjects. I would love to. Anytime, guys. Thank you. Gary, uh, can't thank you enough, buddy. All right. Hey, You're ladies welcome, and gentlemen, buddy. Stan and Wendy, that's it for tonight. Thanks a lot for your input, everybody. <laughs> it was my pleasure. That's a lot of fun talking about the old times and bringing it to the new times. All right. Hey, you guys be safe, and we'll talk to you uh, next week. Hey, guys, on behalf of Stan and Wendy, that's it for tonight. Always in memory of Big Tuna Bill. We want to thank Jorge in the AM540 studios. Ben, here in our local studios here in San Diego, put everything together. 
but especially you for listening uh, to us tonight. So be safe while traveling out there. I hope you get a chance to get on the water next week. And look forward to uh, listening to Ron Real Radio next Sunday night here on AM540 starting at 5.05 p.m. So on behalf of the whole cast, you guys take care. Also, Mike and Joe Israel, thanks for being with us, guys. Thanks for having Go out and good luck in the fish off. Thank you. Again, that's it for tonight. Good night, everyone. Stay safe. We'll see you on the water. Go out there and get them. They're getting away. We're out for now.